The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Keep it really simple. Keep it really fun. Work on their strengths. Make them love the game. Make them want to play the game for the rest of their lives. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yasin. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest today. Today, I've got Dimitri Halaika with me. He's a lead professional development face at West Ham United. Good evening, Dimitri. Yeah, evening. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, fine. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. Dimitri, I don't want to waste any time. Um, just for myself and the listeners, would you mind just telling us a little bit about where your coaching journey started? In? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we've all started at Colchester United. Um, which was my local club, Colchester, kind of born and bred. Um, and it started when I was 19. Um, started doing some work experience there from college. And then when I left college, got offered a full-time kind of apprenticeship, really, to start with um, as a full-time coach in the football and the community scheme, is what it was then. Um, and I was there at the club in total for, for 10 years, doing a, a whole range of jobs, from community coaching to advanced coaching to... Um, female coaching to disability coaching um, and then started to work along the kind of boys academy at the same time as working in the football in the community and then progressed to working to full time um, in the boys academy as well so that club um, yeah, gave me my first start and then gave me loads and loads of experience of working with all, all different kinds of people and players so it was a, a real good place to start Brilliant. You know, obviously, moving on from Colchester, you spent a number of years there. Um, you know, eventually later led on to roles with uh, Norwich, obviously now at West Ham, and obviously a brief time at the FA as well. Would you mind just sharing us, sharing with us a bit about the journey through those roles as well? Yeah, no problem. Um, <clears throat> I was at the FA as a regional manager, so that the, the kind of southeast region <clears throat> was helping out in development of young players, predominantly kind of uh, nines to twelves when the youth awards were kind of just mm. coming about. So um, just putting quite a lot of those out there and tutoring on those um, and also overseeing the skills programme, managing the staff within that. Um, so that was that was great. Got to see a, a whole football kind of outside of the region, whereas before my coaching had predominantly been kind of Essex-based. It got me out and this, this role covered kind of five counties. Yeah. So I got to increase my kind of network and my understanding of, of how football worked outside of my little bubble. Um, Norwich was a 
was a brilliant time, great club. Um, they're very, very big on youth development, um, as were Colchester. So they, right from the top, they were, they believed in it. Um, I joined just as the Category 1 status was coming in. Uh, Ricky Martin was the academy manager and he employed me to do the 12s to 16s to start with that lead phase coach role. Coached the 16s within that. Uh, went to, we went, had a full-time schools programme at that point. It was just when that kind of programme was first time to come in along with the auditing and, and the category process. Um, and had times at, at Leicester and, and now at West Ham. So all, well, I've been fortunate is all the clubs that I've worked for have all been really big on youth development um, right from the top down really right from the, the owners being interested then down to a technical director and then down to a first team manager and then I think we've got a real chance in developing young players I think if you look at West Ham we've got two or three that are regularly in the first team now Norwich City have got um, three or four that are regularly in the first team Leicester have got three or four currently in the first team as of Colchester so all of, all of those clubs have got good history of developing youth players and they've all got a process in place that helps make that happen. Brilliant. I just want to take you back to your role with the FA now, you know, the regional manager. Is that, would that be the equivalent of uh, what a county coach developed at this stage? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was a, a, little bit of, a little bit of that work. Um, and there's been a little bit of the work when you go into some of the clubs as well. Um, it, it was mainly around youth award kind of rollout was when that first, right. first happened, the, the youth modules one, two and three. So it was linked into that. Some of it was working in clubs, some of it was helping and supporting the county FAs, um, some of it was helping the skills programme. So it was quite a, quite a broad broad range. Um, but but the, the, the overall thing was trying to develop coaches um, in the southeast of England and, and try and help them with any, any CPD or qualifications that they might need. All right, brilliant. So, you know, I just want to take you right back to the start of your journey. Obviously, you've ended up, you started your journey at Colchester. When did coaching become, I guess, a, a thought for you? You know, what took, what took you down that journey initially or that path? Yeah, they're quite early, really. Um, and I think that's that helped me that I made the decision. I probably made the decision you know, at 19. I had a chance to go to university or go full-time into coaching. And when I say full-time into coaching, it was minimal pay for you know, it was apprenticeship wage and it was seven days a week and it was probably 12 hours a day um, coaching school programme after schools, clubs, infants, um, social inclusion projects, a whole whole range of of things. Um, so I committed to it quite early because I had a um, accident when I was a teenager with my leg, which I knew I'd never, well, I was told I'd never probably walk again unaided, let alone play at a high level. Obviously, like any young boy, mm. you, you want to go and do that. But that, that dream was never going to be a reality anyway so was, which which helped me really because quite early rather than being 18 19 and, and kind of chasing that dream and going to play for 25 different non-league clubs and maybe the odd game in the FA Cup and thinking that you're gonna you're gonna follow this dream that's probably gonna turn into nothing quite early on I, I kind of I played a little bit for fun with my friends but quite early on I, I didn't focus on playing quite early on I went full-time into coaching football. So I started coaching full-time at 19 and now I'm 40. So I've had kind of 20 years coaching full-time. Whereas I think if I had, if I hadn't had, if I'd maybe chased more playing, then I wouldn't have got as many hours under my belt. So I think, I think that, that really helped. I think a lot of people would prioritize their playing career and then maybe go into their coaching yeah. career 
in their mid thirties, I managed to prioritize my coaching career, you know, as, as a 19 year old. So I think there's, there's, there's some bits in there that, that have helped me. Definitely. And I think, you know, there's a, a lot of coaches, especially now, you know, similar to yourself, I started when I was 19 too. And I think it's becoming increasingly more common that the coaches are starting off younger. Um, what would your advice be to those coaches that, you know, that are in, in between? Because there's a lot of, I guess, experienced coaches or even coach educators that, was, that would uh, encourage young coaches to maybe keep playing for as long as possible. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I would definitely have carried on playing if I, if I could or if I was any good. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't discourage anyone from that at all because there's loads of great experiences that, that you gain from that pathway as well. So I wouldn't discourage that. Um, yeah, now it's a, it's a whole industry, isn't it, coaching? When, it, when I first started, it, it wasn't really much of an industry. Football clubs had, you know, two full-time members of staff in youth development. Um, and community schemes had maybe five and then about another five or ten part-time staff. It, it wasn't, and now it's a, a whole industry where people can train. They're trying to be an expert in it right from a, a very young age. Um, I think what, what I've learned is it, it takes a long time to get good at it. Um, like I said, that, that 10 years at Colchester United gave me a, a great foundation. Um, and, that, and that's after 10 years, I was still, that was only, still only a foundation, really. I'm, I'm still still learning now. I wouldn't claim to be, to be great at it now, but mm. it certainly took me 10 years just to get to, get to a level where I was really, really comfortable in everything that I was doing. Um, and, and I think working, getting to work with and alongside and watch as many different people as possible really helped. We had really good staff during that 10 years at Colchester United. People, like Ben Bartley, who's gone on to be head of coaching at Fulham. Steve Bartley, who's head of coaching at Leighton Orient. Steve Downey, Steve Bradshaw. Um, you know, people that have, have gone on to do good things in youth development. And we were working a, a little community sports trust at that point in time. And it was a really nice, positive place to work. And also a really challenging place to work. And, learnt loads in that 10 years. So I think you've got to do your, your kind of um, apprenticeship. I don't think coaching is something you can really shortcut. Mm. I think you do have to have to do the hours on the grass, whether that's, you know, with a, a big plan background, or whether that's with a big coaching background, or whether a big ed- education background. I don't think it really, really matters, but I, I do think it's really hard to, to shortcut the time that you have to dedicate to the Definitely. profession. You know, just, I want to take you back to obviously your role in the FA and just talk a bit about the coach education part. There's been a lot of changes over the recent years in particular. Um, and I'm sure we're going to go through another mass change um, off the back of this pandemic. What would you say to those coaches who have um, maybe frustrated the way the courses are now delivered? I mean, I'm sure, I know that you're not really involved in that aspect of things as it stands. However, what are your thoughts on when those youth modules came in, that there was almost a contradictory element to it. You know, they were very different to what was maybe delivered on the traditional core coaching pathway. Um, and now, obviously, they've been amalgamated as, you know, one course, essentially. And it got to the point where it was a lot of coaches would suggest that maybe there's a little bit more emphasis on the other three corners outside of the technical corner. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the way I understood it, in my head at the time when I was at the FA, there was the two strands running at the same time where you've got the traditional kind of B licence, A licence, and then you've got the youth awards was that the A and the B licence were preparing people to be first team managers, whether that be kind of semi-pro or non-league or, or kind of professional game. 
Um, and they were teaching you how to look at the 11 v 11 game and they were teaching you how to kind of put on a session on maybe a Thursday or a Friday when you've got one session to get across your points um, for a game that's on a Saturday. So you were kind of time restricted and you had to be quite blunt and firm about the pitches you want and how to get them across to the players. And they were trying to teach you to give you the tools to be able to do that. And then the Youth Award for me was more about giving people the tools to be good um, player developers and good at working with children. So it was more about teaching people, um, educating them around what player development looks like, what child education looks like. And if you're trying to develop a kind of longer term project in terms of developing players, um, how that might look and how to make it child specific. Um, I, th- I think they've, they've kind of merged them together now, which I haven't, I haven't seen what that format looks like. So I, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on that, but yeah, that's, that's how it made sense in my head was the, the having real specialists around youth development. Mm. Um, I think it has, has taken football on for sure. And I'm glad I was kind of, I went through that, that kind of process when they were both out where I got to do the traditional B licence and A licence and then I got to do you know the youth awards when they, when they were fresh and new and first out as well so I do think that the generation that kind of generation that had both strands running at the same time I think probably got got the best of both worlds I guess so I, I certainly um, appreciate that I got to do kind of two sets of courses if you like and got yeah. both, got a lot for both of them Definitely I think you know, as I say, I'm, I've recently been involved in the delivery of uh, I guess the current level one level two and support on the B licence as well and there's, there's definitely loads of benefits from obviously the courses being, I guess, um, blended together in that respect. Um, but there is a general view from a lot of coaches that there's not a lot of emphasis on the technical side of things anymore, specifically, more specifically when it comes to the delivery from the tutors. What would you say and how, what would you advise maybe those coaches who are out there maybe seeking some of that technical aspect of things but maybe not getting that directly from the coach education pathway? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's so much out there to get to educate yourself on rather than just from the FA. I think you know, the, the FA is a, a good coach development organisation and a good organisation in general. But I think if, if any coach is just relying on, on them to spoon feed them everything that's relevant and new about football, um, then I don't think you're ever going to be kind of cutting edge. So I, I think I'd, I'd encourage people to do their own research. I'd encourage people to read books, to go on YouTube, to go and watch people, to study the game. Um, and yeah, they, they might come up with stuff themselves that the FA haven't even thought of or that's better than the FA. So I, I would tell them, use the, use the FA pathway to complement what you're doing as a coach to develop, but don't use the FA as, as the only way to develop yourself as a coach. So I think you'll only, you'll only ever be limited if, you, if you're just looking at, at one organisation to develop you. I think you've got, to, you've got to be broader than that and look everywhere and take, take the good bits from all of what the FA courses offer, but then find your own bits, you know, find your own little bits that are unique to you that you, that you think are inspiring or, or, or the way the game's going or the way you want to be. So yeah, don't, 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 don't wait for an organisation to, to develop you because I don't think you'll ever be at the front of the pack if you're doing that. In terms of your role now, I want to go back to your role at uh, Norwich. Um, you talked there, you know, you initially started off as a lead youth development phase coach when the 12 to 16th. Um, that, am I correct in saying that you later, uh, you know, progressed into more of a head of coaching role for, for that phase? Or No, I went, so uh, uh, Norwich, I progressed to the um, under 23 right, okay. to lead the PDP phase. Uh, and Norwich and then to Leicester I did more of a it was kind of technical lead um, so kind of head of player development type role at Leicester 
and then a 23s role at head of PDP at Norwich. And then within that role, then what, how much did you, obviously initially being the lead youth, youth phase coach, how much of that role was based around the coach development side in terms of supporting the uh, staff within the phase uh, with you? And obviously then we're moving into professional phase, what were the major differences for you there? Yeah, I, th- I think um, when I first did the 12s to 16s at Norwich, we, we didn't have a head of coaching to start with. Um, so it, it was twofold the job, really. I coached the 16s and ran the 16s programme, but then had to oversee the 12s to 16s and, and the coach within that as well. Um, so there's that kind of management and leadership side of it, making sure that you try to join the phase up and keep people on the same page as much as possible and make sure there's a, a kind of stepped approach for the players as they go through the system, um, that they can progress through it and, and they can manage it, but also it links together. So you kind of have to just form a team, really, a team of coaches, and you want to get them working together. You don't want the kids to go to one age group and then progress to another age group the next year and it be completely different because that's not really going to help their development in those ages. Um, so keeping everyone in line, keeping everyone moving towards the same, the same goal in the same direction about how we develop players, how, how we play, how we coach. And so it was a, a joined-up approach was the key. And then along with that, take, taking the 16s programme, which was you know, your, your, your full-time coaching within that role. So it's a, it's a really nice role, to be fair. That 12 to 16 role, is, you, you, get a, you get a bit of everything. It's, it's, the hard, it's one of the hardest roles because most of the hours are, are late at night. Um, you know, it's, it's quite a lot of evening work and it's quite a lot of weekend work so you, you do have to put in the work to be successful at that role but it is a it is a nice stage to work at players in their development I always find they're really they're really eager they're really really keen to learn really excited about football and the club and, and getting better so it's a it's a really nice age group and then the, the, the PDP phase um, was really the next the next thing I wanted to test myself at I wanted to see if some of my approaches and ideas you know the, the PDP level w- would work and if I could continue that it was quite nice because as I progressed to that PDP phase quite a few of the boys that I'd had in the YDP phase kind of progressed mm. through it with me um, which was nice so I got to see kind of extended players development which I think you, you learn from even more if you see someone's journey over five or six years you can really see their ups their downs and their how they've learned and what's helped them and what's maybe hindered them along the way so that that was really helpful for me um the pdp phase the, the the biggest difference really for me was having to join in even tighter to a first team uh, making sure that my development model um fitted into what they needed and what they wanted and was producing players that were then capable of of what it is that their style and and how they want to play the game i mean they, they were similar anyway but i had to make sure i knew all of the, the little things that they wanted to give our players the best possible chance and just, to break through. Within that then, what would you say are some of the key things that you may be looking to support the players with when you're now in the professional development phase in particular? You now you're preparing those players for that first team environment. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, uh, um, I, I think it's, for me, the more, the more details mm. you can make similar, the better. So I always want to kind of pick the brains of the, people at first team level as much as possible so that when they step across into their first training session or when they step across into their first match day it, it, it can't seem alien to them it can't they can't it can't be surprised or oh, what's, what's this all about it's got to be as close as possible so if for example if the first team start 
every session with um, a 15 minute rondo around certain aspects. Then I'll start my first 15 minutes of, of rondos. Not whether I value rondos or not, it, it's kind of irrelevant. What's, what's going to happen is a boy's going to go over to the first team. And in that first 15 minutes, they, they could sink or swim in mm. their first ever session at that level. And if that first 15 minutes, from what I do, is, is not relevant to anything what they do, then that, that could be the downfall of them. And the last thing I want to do is, is helping somebody's downfall or demise when they, they go across them. Even in terms of set plays, you know, if, if, if they're zonal and, and we do man-to-man, well, that might not help if that player goes and has his debut and he's used to doing man-to-man and the first team are doing zonal, well, then that's, that's an opportunity. It's another thing for him to think about on that debut. And on the debut, we want his, his mind clear. If the set plays are similar, if the playing style is similar, if the, the coaching program is similar, and the, the, the demands of what we're looking for, when the, when the right bat's got it, what, what are the movements that the first team are looking for? If we can get that, not identical, because I, I don't think it'll be identical, of course, because the, the clubs that I've worked at, the first team does change a little bit, dependent on the manager and dependent on the, the position of the club. Um, but it's certainly got to be similar. So it, it, it can be absolutely everything. I mean, it, the other thing can be it's, it's time to be a little bit harder on them. You know, they've, they've got to get used to when they go into that first team dressing room, they're going to, they're going to know how important the demands of the game are. They're going to know how important the three points are. So then we have to make the PDP phase um, a little bit more demanding from that respect of the importance of um, getting your set plays right or your importance of tracking your runner or all those little tiny bits that they won't necessarily get you in the team, but they'll Definitely. certainly get you dropped from the team. If you're playing your first pre-season friendly or you're playing your first debut and those, those little kind of basic moments aren't up to scratch then you'll you'll certainly get dropped for them so it's about kind of trying to nullify as many of those as possible really all all the pitfalls that a a young player might get um, stepping across that line into the first team environment just trying to cover as many of those bases as possible and and that might change manager to manager you know I've, I've, I've tried to produce players for a number of managers and every manager has their their different things that they like all the things that they really, really dislike. So you need to try and work out pretty quick what those are um, so that you can help educate your players and, and get your stuff to look as much like that as possible without copying because mm. you've always got to have your own identity. But if, if, if you're not preparing the players for the next step, then it, it's, it's pointless. It's just that you, need to, you talk there about your own identity. It'd be very interesting to know maybe what some of the fundamental things are for you within your own coaching philosophy and your own... Um, yeah, your your philosophy essentially. Yeah, well, it kind of it kind of would depend a little bit um, what role I've got to a certain extent. Some philosophies change a little bit depending on what the what the outcome of my job needs to be. Um, so, as I say, when I'm when I'm twenty three, kind of head coach as I am now, then what one bit of my philosophy is to to try and join things up to the first team as, as much as possible and make that as seamless as possible. You know, that that's key. Otherwise, as I said before, it's gonna mm. I'm gonna help and not hinder. So I don't want to put I want to put my own stamp on it, but not so much of my own stamp that the team or the players are, are reliant on me or, or all about looking how I want them to play football. I need to get them to play football how the first team wants to play football, so that they they get selected. Um, so that, but in terms of my kind of football philosophy, I, I would like 
um, to have the ball, so possession, but possession with progression. So not not possession in terms of just stringing necessarily fifty passes along the back. I want possession and and line breaks within that to try and attack and try and have people on the shoulder that threaten the last line. Um, I want players and teams that can be flexible so they can adapt to a whole different range of formations and different scenarios. I would like to press and like to counter press because I, I like I like to have the ball. Um, so I don't like it if the other team's got the ball so I want us to try and get it back in a, a quick and aggressive fashion. Um, and then in terms of on the coaching pitch I, I want the session to be high intensity because I think that's what the, the first team in the Premier League certainly is. So need to drive intensity and make sure the intensity is a a realistic marker to develop the players. Um, I don't believe in overloading it too big because I don't think the game itself is overloaded too big. So obviously you're going to have the odd overload in there to manipulate a certain outcome that you want. But I think as soon as the overload becomes massive, it becomes unrealistic. Um, I like to add direction in whenever I can because I think the the game's directional and, and breaking lines is a big part of that for me. So I think whenever you've got direction, you get a chance to break lines and break units. That That makes it realistic, which which I also believe in. Um, so that, those would be some of the, the, the key bits I would look for. But, but like I say, the, the, two, well, the first thing I'd look at is the first team and what they want and need. And the second thing I'd look at is the group of players and what they want and need. Um, and then I would kind of devise what what I think is the best, best approach going forward for, for yeah, that I think group. Some of the key things there you're talking about very much within the professional development phase, linking into what the, what's going to best prepare those players for that first team. You know, obviously, you worked for a couple of different clubs now, um, and obviously, your time as within the FA. What would you say some of the challenges are when you're now working in a different club? And have you ever felt any uh, resistance to, I guess, conforming to maybe the club's way of working? And uh, has that ever contradicted with your own thoughts and in the, the way I guess the players should be developed? Not, not too much. I think, like I said, I've been very fortunate. The clubs I've worked with have been a very pro youth development. Um, which really helps. They've all had a history of putting players into first team, so that helps. And they've all been teams that try and um, well pass pass the ball, which is like I say, possession football, but with with an attacking threat. It's something I agree with. And they've all been those type of teams. So it's not. I've never had to come across a, a massive contradiction. Obviously, there's always individuals in in every club. Where see the game slightly differently, but I, I think that's a help. Um, I think as long as you can get your heads together and, and talk about it and work it out, I think there's, there's always a, a way to to get the best out of it. I think there's times where I've probably cert- thought a certain way and actually someone's challenged it or looked at it and they've actually I've gone, no, no they've, they've got a point. And hopefully there's times where I've put my point across and, and managed to influence someone in a positive way as well. So I don't think you can ever, I, I would never go mm. in, like close-minded saying this is 100% me like it or lump it I'd always go in these are my ideas this is this is how I think the game should be played this is how I think kids should be developed this is what I think I could offer um, and if someone comes up with a, a good balanced kind of argument or some good research that would Fantastic. contradict that and make me think differently I'm, I'm certainly well, yeah, you talk, talk there about you know having a positive influence on players now to take you back to yourself I just wonder if you've had any major influences in your journey um, possibly in the form of mental, potentially even going through a particular experience where you've taken away a, a big lesson from it. Um, cool, yeah, lot, I mean, lots of people really. I mean, there's been there's, there's so when 
when you're a young coach, so many people that help you. I think that's one great thing about coaching is there is so many people willing to help you, so many people that want to talk football. Um, there's, there's so much resource out there. So I think it, uh, John Oldpress has, throughout my whole career, he's kind of really taken an interest in, in helping me and offering me advice. So he's been one that's that's been there through, through a number of clubs um, through my journey. So that's always been really appreciated in terms of player development. Um, he's, he's really up there. Ben Bartlett has been there since day one, since at Colchester. Um, on and off the pitch, someone I'd, all, I'd always kind of confide in around football or, or, or anything really. Um, Ricky Martin has been with me at, at West Ham and at Norwich. He's really trusted in me. Um, he's kind of moved me from the YDP into the professional development phase and, and really challenged me and supported me along both of those jobs. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From a kind of first-team point of view, it's probably, probably Alex Neal. Um, who was first team manager at Norwich when I was 23s? Um, he he put a lot of a lot of time and effort into telling me what he kind of expected uh, first team level. He moved me from the academy building into the first team building. Um, invited me. I sat in quite a lot, quite a lot of his meetings. I sat in a lot of his video analysis um, plans when he was putting together a game plan for who he was playing the following day. Um, I sat there and saw him review his own sessions. I sat there and saw him review players that he wanted to sign. I was kind of a fly on the wall, really, in quite a lot of what he did. Um, so he, he didn't necessarily... Oh, he did directly help me, but it was more the indirect stuff, just watching him work. And I was very impressed with the with the way that he worked. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he outwardly mentored me directly, but I, I did learn a lot. He's probably the first team manager that's opened the door the widest um, to see the ins and outs of, of what they do at first team level. Um, along with David Moyes, who let me join in a few match days this season and, and see how that works behind the scenes as well. So there's, there's, there's loads more to mention. You know, it's, that's, as I say, that's the, that's the great thing about our industry. I think, you know, your, your, your podcast is called the coaches network. And I, and I do believe there is a, a big network out there of people 
willing to help and people willing to help young coaches. Kind of on from that, then, what you know, you're still relatively young, given the fact that you've got 20 years experience, almost, or just over 20 years, rather. What's helped to keep you, I guess, motivated and inspired to keep going, and I guess get to that next level. And you know, 20 years is a long time, and especially at a young age. So, so what, what is that for you? Yeah, the players. You know, it's, it's, it's always been about the players um, for me. That's that's been the thing that that drives me, that gets me excited about the football in general. It's it's in my role. It's, it's developing young people, helping them, progressing them, and whether that's players moving on to the first team, or whether that's players getting a scholarship in the states, or whether that's players just you know maximising, reaching their full potential, and become a really good human being. improved players so that's kind of where where my motivation comes from there's no there's no better feeling than seeing a, a player you know debut that, that hopefully you've had a, a little part to play in that process and um, that's that's what I kind of strive for so more than more than necessarily the the matches or, or the games or this or the training sessions for me it's more about developing developing young people developing young players um, pushing them forward hopefully rising their aspirations and Again, and helping them go further than, than they thought they ever could. You know, that's that's what Brilliant. keeps me yeah, motivated. Kind of I think. Within that, thing, you know, well. I think when you get to certainly the professional development phase, we're now looking at how to prepare the players. How much of the how much of the stuff off the field do you get involved in with those players? And what does what would you say are the key things that you have to maybe touch on there? Because you know, we're now looking at. Supporting the players in across the multiple disciplines, how 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 closely involved in the, in those things are you? Yeah, no, I think I think every player has to have a, a plan, yeah, and that, that plan doesn't necessarily always always follow suit. It has to be a flexible plan. Um, but I think you have to sit down with players and, and work out what it is they want and where it is they want to go, and then work with them to try and help that happen. There, there has to be a a connection first, you know, before any that kind of saying of correction mm. before, uh, sorry, connection before correction is something I, I would believe in before you start trying to kind of tell, tell or help people what to do or what not to do. You need a bit of a bit of money in the bank, so mm. to speak, and a, a bit of investment and a bit of trust with that person. Um, and then now you've got a whole team of people that can help that individual. Um, whether it be a sports scientist, whether it be a video analysis, whether it be a psychologist, whether it be a coach, and kind of helping that process. So I think I think it's important that each player, you know, knows a little bit of direction of what their season might hold and what their long term vision might hold, and uh, what their strengths are, what they're good at, what's their identity, what little bits you know can they use to improve themselves. But I think you know I don't think you'd ever underestimate um, working on people's strengths and having a strengths based approach where you look at what people are good at and, yeah. and making it a super strength, making it something that gives them star quality. I think if we're careful, we, we kind of look at what players aren't good at. We try and improve that, but then their their strength diminishes Definitely. a little bit and you just end up getting an all-round kind of average player. Um, he lost it, may have improved his weaknesses 10%, but he's lost his strength 10% in the process. I think that's a, it's a, it's a easy trap to fall into. So that, that strength-based approach where you can help people get good at what Definitely. they're already it's good at. Obviously, you know, you touched it. It is the Coaches Network podcast and it's hopefully going to be coaches from all different 
walks of life and different environments and levels listening to this what would your advice be to have you got any tips or advice that you give to maybe those coaches working outside of maybe the academy program or outside of the quote-unquote elite game um in considerations for how they might start to take more of a multiple disciplinary approach yeah i think i think the hard thing is not not to professionalize it too early but i think it's great to, to have you know as much knowledge about um different aspects of the game not just technical and tactical so you, you can work on all four corners of a player um and you need to have you know as much knowledge and expertise and, and interest and intrigue about all those things as possible as a coach but at the same time if you if you kind of use all of it on your players every day, you're just going to batter them with too much professionalism too early. So I, th- I think you, you need to know your detail around around your profession, but I don't think you have to use it on every player every single day. You know, I think keeping it for them, keeping it fun, um, doing kind of more more secret coaching than, than kind of out there coaching with some of that stuff, especially for, for grassroots. I would, I would keep it really simple, keep it really fun, work on their strengths, make them love the game make them want to play the game for the rest of their lives. They've got to have an obsession with the game. They've got to have an obsession with getting better if they're going to progress. And that's, that's the main things for the players that I've seen go through. The two things they've all got is they absolutely love the game, um, are obsessed with it, love it, watch it, love everything about it. Um, and they like to get better. So if you can give kids those two things, then for me, that the, the rest will... They'll, they'll help reach their full potential. You know, if they, if they love the game and they love getting better, then that will take them a, a long, long way. And sometimes those things can get undervalued by maybe mm-hmm. more kind of sexier or complex things that, that we try and teach. But let's, let's, get, let's get the basics right first with our young players. Make sure they love it, make sure they enjoy it, and make sure they've got Brilliant. first and to get better. Kind of follow up and on that's that a great foundation to push them about on. Some of the positive things that we kind of try and do for the players. Now, you've been coached for, like I said, over, you know, just over 20 years. You've probably seen a whole load of things in your time. What would you say one of your biggest bugbears or pet hates is when it comes to coaching? Um, yeah, I think, I think sometimes coaches can get a bit carried away with themselves, can't they? Yeah, myself included. Um, so I think coaching's, you know, an egotistical business. I think it has to be to a certain point of view because you have to stand up in front of people and, and but I think when that when that ego takes over um, that's where it can go a little bit wrong so when it stops being about the players um, it starts being about the coach and coaches start getting a little bit carried away with themselves um, and we've all been there you know I wouldn't there's certainly times in my career where I've been there as well and probably still am at times so yeah it's just just when the coach's ego gets gets a bit too much and that gets in the way of the development of of young players and young people um, I think, I think that's that's a bugbear of mine, and I certainly have to remind myself of it sometimes if I get a bit carried away with myself because I think I've done a great session, or I get carried away with the ref on the sideline, or or, or whatever else. Just just don't don't let your ego get in the way. Just think about the kids first, um, help them have their best interests at heart, and, and then as long as you're coming from a you know, place with good intentions, that, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges you do right. within your coaching journey? And if it could be something you're currently dealing with still, and if you haven't made able to deal with it. How have you gone about doing that? Um, yeah, I think challenges-wise, the I think every every time I've made a, a jump up, um, whether that be from grassroots coaching to academy coaching or from 
the YDP to the PDP or from um, a League Two club to a Premier League club. I think whenever you make that jump, the, the biggest challenge is, is always the next challenge to a certain extent. So that first first little spell in that in that new environment when when things have stepped up in your development is the biggest challenge. So I've had lots of them in, from that point of view. Um, and the way I would, I would try and overcome them is to try and reflect as much, much as possible, try and be a quick learner, talk, talk to the players, kind of watch the players. I try and get quite a lot of my feedback from, from them when possible, either directly or indirectly. You know, they're, they're kind of be be your kind of acid test of if you're doing a good job or not, if they're developing, if they're getting better, if they're engaged, if they're happy. Um, I think that one of the best things about your community work when I first started out was you'd get instant feedback where you had to, I think you charged one pound for a session after school club and, and however many kids you had, obviously that's how much money went back in the community scheme after the end of every after school club and you'd be standing there and if on week one you had 30 kids, that's really good. And if on week two you then had 15 kids, and then if on week three you had four kids mm. at your after school club, well, that was <laughs> that was some instant feedback there of um, what you're doing wrong. And you need to need to put it right pretty quick. So I think whenever you make a step up in your career, that's always going to be a challenging time. Um, I think try and prepare yourself and research yourself as, as much as you can for that, and then try and reflect as quickly and as much as you can. I think the other challenges I've faced have been, I think that in, in, in life there's always going to be bias, isn't there? There's always people are going to have their bias. I think I've had, you know, the, the bias I would have against me would be kind of no plan background. You know, that's been a challenge that I've always had to fight against. Um, when I was young, I'm not quite so young anymore, but when I was young, you know, that there'd be a bias that could be a bias against young coaches. Um, so I think some of those sometimes have been a challenge. Some, sometimes there's maybe been judged fairly or unfairly for not having a playing background or for, or for being young or for or for other reasons so those, those biases will always be out there for, for all different types of people so challenging against those and, and trying to trying to prove people wrong whenever you can um, but I haven't I haven't faced a, a, a challenge that that has been you know anything compared to some of the challenges that most people would face in their profession you know we're not we're not talking life and just death challenges like people at the NHS or anyone like that has has to face. Mm. So it's when I say a challenge, I'd, I'd use that very lightly. It's, a, it's trivial, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. Really, Definitely, sound yeah, yeah. I just want to take you back to your current role now. Um, just wondering if you can be maybe wouldn't mind going into a bit more detail around what that role entails and how much of it. Obviously, a large part of that is preparing the players for the first team. How yeah. much of that is? Uh, working around supporting the young mm. coaches or, or I say young coaches, the coaches in the younger age groups um, with their development as well. Is there much involvement in that? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, we've got a head of coaching that we're, that we're doing more of the younger age groups. So I'm lead PDP coach. So I oversee the PDP programme. Um, we, we've got some really experienced coaches at West Ham. We've got we've got Steve Potts, we've got Mark Phillips, we've got Kevin Keane um, working the PDP phase, um, who are all vastly vastly experienced. So in terms of um, developing them, you know, we we we, just, we do it as a group. Really, we just help each other. There's, there's certainly um, I get loads off each other. There, there wouldn't be me 
me sitting them down telling them how to do their jobs far from it they're uh, very very competent at what they do so we certainly would we do it as a collaborative approach and we'd, we'd pick people's minds you know ricky will ricky martin the academy manager will sit us down as, as a kind of pdp department and, and we'll talk about players or we'll talk about systems or talk about how we want to develop people um we've certainly do it in a kind of round table collaborative approach really more than more than a top-down approach which i which i think you know works better because you've got more minds all working on the same level challenging each other getting people to think of things from a different point of view is far better than just one person's ideas just trickling down i think you know we're we're lucky to have all kind of experienced members of staff at the top end of our academy where we can we can bounce off of each other rather than having just one person experienced and then the rest junior member of the staff um it's not it's not like that where where we are at the moment and and the younger coaches as i said they've got their lead phase coaches that would work on their day-to-day and then we've got our head of coaching callum who would who would work on their kind of individual long-term plan so my my coach my kind of hands-on coach development isn't isn't as prevalent in this role as it was in my my role at leicester and my role at the fa my role now is predominantly around around that 23s group and then try to join up 18s to that and then try sure. and join one up to the you know, 23s. Okay, yeah, so again, I'm on to the first team. Still relatively young um, when it comes to coaching, in my opinion. But obviously, started young and you've got loads of experience so far. If you had to go back in, you know, knowing what you know now, all the different clubs you work for, the different age groups you worked in and even the roles in terms of player as well as coach development. If you could go back now and talk to yourself at 19, when you first step foot into that coaching arena, what would be one bit of advice you'd want to give yourself? I think I think probably to ask more questions. I think I've been lucky to be around lots of high-level practitioners and coaches and, and good people. Um, I think there's lots of people that I've probably passed in my career that I, I didn't pick their brains enough. You know, I had an opportunity to work alongside them or had an opportunity to sit next to them on a course or I had the opportunity to um, listen to them speak and I probably didn't ask enough questions and didn't squeeze every bit of information out of them so probably some learning opportunities from my point of view that I missed there so I think you know when, when you're young or when you're when you're trying to learn at any point just make sure you, you kind of seize those moments to to pick people's brains because you you never know when you're going to get that chance again, and yet two years time you think, oh, I really really should have asked that question, or I really should have been a bit braver to go and speak to that first team manager or that under 18s coach, or you know I was working in the same place as them. I really had the opportunity there to to learn something new, but I just mm. just didn't want to get embarrassed or didn't think it was my place to say, and wanted to just kind of keep keep my head down and just. Just get on my work. I think I think I've probably missed a, I think, yeah, I a few, so a few learning uh, opportunities there. Asking those questions can always it can only benefit you, and you know even if it is just to further clarify some of the things that you already are doing, already feel confident in, in your knowledge of, or even just to, as you touched on earlier, you know if someone's got a bit of research or a bit of, um, I guess justification around a different way of working, then it's always it's always worth I guess exposing yourself to that too. I just want to kind of you know come back to your the current role now. Um, Currently, obviously, working as lead professional development phase coach. Again, I, you know, I just want to emphasize again, still relatively young as far as I'm concerned. What would you say is next for yourself? Do you have long term ambitions going into the first team environment, or do you see yourself as a long term youth developer in that respect? 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I certainly, I certainly see myself as, um, you know, developing, developing people and developing youth. Um, uh, what, what role that's in, you know, I don't really mind to a certain extent. It, it could be a first team, it could be an academy, it could be, it could be anywhere. But I think I'll, I'll always want to develop people and try and help people to get better. Um, so long-term goals and aspirations, I think, would be a bit more, bit more generic for myself. It would be more about continue to get better, continue to enjoy it. That would be the main thing, you know. If if I did, w- when I do stop enjoying it, that's that's when I would, you know, look at something else. But you know, enjoy it, get better, improve, help others, be kind to people, help people improve, help people get better, help people enjoy what they do, progress people challenge people and, and work with people that I like work with people that I enjoy working with you know those those are kind of mm. my my kind of goals really because they they might they might come up at who knows where they might come up you know they, they might be where I currently am they might be somewhere else but I'll say at the moment I'm a absolutely fantastic club when it comes to developing footballers you know got a, a great reputation of developing young players over the last 20-25 years and we've had some success in the last couple of years getting some through. We've got a good group of staff, got a good group of players. So at the moment, you know, the, where I am fulfills all of those. To wind down, those goals, know, for, for our listeners, you know, if we gave you 60 seconds now, one goal and not for, I guess, to, for them to take away and maybe apply within their own journeys, what would that be? Um, Oh, golden nugget. I'm, I'm not sure I'm qualified to give any golden nuggets. Um, <laughs> but I think as long as they, you've, I'd say you've got, you've got to work hard. You know, you, as I said right at the start, I think you, you can't shortcut um, a career in coaching. Um, it takes years and years and years to, to get half good because you've got to learn the ins and outs of football and you've got to learn the ins and outs of people. Um, and both those things are very complex. It's a very complex sport. And people are obviously very complex, and you've got to learn how to be an expert in a, a thousand different personalities and how to deal with all those personalities. And then you've got to learn how to teach and coach one of the most complex sports out there. So I don't, I don't think you should, can shortcut it. So I know people will put together their development plans, or people will put together what they what they want to achieve, and they'll say, you know, in this year I want to achieve this, and then I want to move to an academy, and then I want to work to the YDP, and then I want to move to the PDP, and then. You know, it took me to move from grassroots coaching to academy coaching. It took me eight to ten years, um, and then to move from YDP to PDP took me six to seven years, um, and, it's, and I've been doing the PDP for about four to five years. And um, yeah, I still need to get better at that. So it, it takes it takes years, years of dedication, years of 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 learning. And years of experiencing you can't you can't shortcut experience um so don't don't be in a hurry don't try and shortcut it in, enjoy the journey enjoy the process don't don't keep looking at the next job or the next thing that you're going for enjoy the process enjoy the journey and just just keep getting getting better keep working hard there's no there's no i don't think there's any real secret to it i, I just think if every person i've seen put in the hours and be open to learning has been a success you know, I haven't seen anyone that's worked really, really hard, that has been really, really open to new ideas, that hasn't gone on to be a success in youth development. Um, so for me, that's that's the formula. It sounds sounds easy and basic, um, but actually, dedicating ten years to grassroots coaching before you get a shot at academy coaching that isn't easy. You know, ten ten years of 
every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning, nine o'clock at night, three or four days a week for, for very little money or no money. You Just know, with is, that, is, uh, talk there about the 10 years working not grassroots. Easy. How important would you say it is maybe for grassroots coaches to consider which age group they potentially want to, I guess, maybe focus on more than others? I mean, you touched earlier about the youth mods and you know the idea of creating more youth development specialists, particularly in different age groups. Obviously, that's becoming, uh, especially when you go down the route of yeah, advanced youth, where it becomes a bit more specialised. You've got the foundation phase, you've got the youth development phase and the professional development phase. Would you say it's worth considering for coaches, uh, you know, maybe early on or at some point where they want to maybe specialise their work at? Yeah, I, I certainly think it's healthy. I certainly think it's healthy that we've, we're now looking at this country to, to have people that specialise in a certain age group, just like you would if you were a teacher, you know, you'd be a university teacher or you'd be a primary school teacher. The skill sets you have for those two jobs are, are very, very different. Um, and some might be want to be one and not be the other. So I, I certainly think it's, it's definitely worth thinking about. But also there's nothing wrong if you just want to be, you know, a youth developer and work across a, a, a number of age groups. I think that's healthy also. Well, what I think, what I think is good is if you're whatever age group you're you're working mm. in, I think you need to know what the next level up looks like. So if you are if you are specialising in the foundation and you want to be the best possible foundation coach, well then knowing what the demands of the youth development look like is really really important, and knowing a little bit about what the demands of the PDP looks like is important. Because if you want to be the best at foundation, then you need to know a little bit about the, the journey that's above them. Because if you don't know what the journey above them looks like at all then how can you know that you're truly preparing them for it and if you want to be if you want to be the best pdb coach then you need to know what you know you need to know what the first team looks like you can't just specialize in pdp and say i'm going to be about best under 18s coach if you don't know what the first team looks like what a first team level looks like at all so i think specializing is is really good but i think to, to be a good specialist in youth development if you want to be part of a process rather than just an individual coach. So if you want to be part of youth development, you're, you're part of a process of passing people through to the other age groups and you want them to succeed and, and go forward, then it's important that you're a great practitioner at, at your age group, but you know a little bit about where they've come from. So what does it look like below you? And a little bit about what it looks like above, so you know what you're passing them on to. So then you've got experience of that that pathway and then you can you really can be the best practitioner possible definitely you know, I think, you know just a little bit more about, about their journey almost i think in a nutshell as you said there it's about understanding where they're coming from and where they're going to be going to next and that will obviously shape what that bit in between with yourself looks like um you know just as we start to wind down now then you know, mm. again still relatively young but when you do eventually get to the end of your career what would you want your legacy to be Um, it will be about players for me at, at this point in time. It will be about hopefully there's some players that um, and just young people in general that have gone on through their career or, or just life and just gone, oh, that, that coach was a, a positive influence on me and they helped me a little bit um, or a lot, you know, depending on, on how how you've worked with them. So, you know, players that have progressed on to first-team football, you know, that's, that's obviously a, a nice legacy if you've had the opportunity to work a little bit with those. Um, but, but also players that you see that you've worked with. I mean, I, I still live in around the area um, when I first started coaching, kind of 19. And the lads that I was, when I was first, first started coaching, 
um, when I was 19, 20, you know, 20 years on now, there I see them out and about and they're 20, 25, 30, you know, they'll come and see me in a restaurant or in the bar and say, do you remember me? I, I coached you when you coached me when I was I know, 10, 12. Um, and, they're, and they're full grown adults and yeah. you, you, want, you want to have left those people with a, a good experience. You want to have left those people better than in a better place than when you found them, hopefully technically, hopefully tactically, hopefully socially. Um, you want their time with you to have been positive. You want their time with you to have been productive and you, you want to have had a, an impact on those people. Um, and when, when you do meet someone that you haven't seen for 15 years and they remember you because you coached them when they were 10 and they say, I'll tell you what, I really, really enjoyed this and I really improved because of this and I wouldn't be good at whatever it is, their business or their home life or their professional football career if it wasn't for this little bit here and this little bit here you did with me. You know, and that, that's, that's an unbelievable legacy to just have helped someone else on their journey a little bit so as, as many players that you can help be professional footballers or better footballers or better people or just successful in general um is a is the legacy that i think um if you're a youth developer really that's what that's what Fantastic. i would look for and that's that's what i think well, it's, look, it's all about you, just, you know just on a final note as we you know look to wrap up very insightful certainly for me and I'm sure it will be for the listeners as well just wondering if there's anywhere the listeners could potentially get in touch with you if they had any questions uh, yeah LinkedIn is probably the easiest way um, so that's probably the only social media really that I've, that I've got kind of out there but yeah more than happy people to, there's not many Dimitri Halaikos <laughs> out there so if you just type in my name to LinkedIn you, I think I'm the only one you'll find um, so yeah find them there send a message across any questions more than more than happy to help. Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.